So, Rufus, play Jesus and Thomas music, whatever that is. You know, I'm, I, I think we all form mental pictures of the disciples. And those mental pictures sometimes are very helpful. But I'm so thankful. You know I'm thankful for Judas. Oh, come on, look, don't look at me this way, Judas. Like you've never betrayed Jesus. I'm so thankful for Peter. That part of him pledged, Jesus, I will not let anybody take you. If you're going to die, I'm going to die with you. If you ever felt that way, so confident, and then moments later, you go like, I don't know who he is. And then there is Thomas. Love Thomas. You know, he, he was one of two twins. But he was called Doubting Thomas. Have you ever doubted? And if you're doubting, you know, so often we think that if we doubt, we are weak of faith. And I've been exposed to messages, and maybe I've inadvertently preached it, where there's a scripture that says, anything that is not of faith is sin, and Jesus rebuke their faithlessness. But you know, after Jesus died and was resurrected, he appeared to the disciples, but Thomas was not present. You know why he was not present? Please don't say yes, because I don't know either. Because we don't. He was just not present. Could it be? The, the assumption is that Thomas thought it was all over, so why be present at a mission that's over? I don't know. But Jesus appeared to the disciples and then they went to go tell Thomas, we've seen Jesus. I love Thomas. Because the church responds, is, of course you did. That's what he said he would do. But Thomas goes like, shut up, really? Shut up's not in the Bible. It should have been in Hebrew. Come on. Then Thomas said these words. Only if I can put my fingers in the wounds in his hands. Thomas is hardcore. And my fingers in the wound of his side. Thomas needed double evidence. Only then will I believe. Hey, are you potentially there? That you go like, man... I go to church because my wife drags me, my husband, my family. I come because I'm looking for something, but you are looking for evidence. I think the world needs evidence. I do. So Bible says, eight days later, Jesus appeared to them and Thomas was there. Now, imagine we were part of the narrative and the story with the audience. I would go, Thomas, you're in so much doo-doo right now. <laughs> Thomas, you have no idea. Because I think Jesus is going to go like, what is up with you, Thomas? You're such a dud. Like, really? No, no, no. When Jesus saw Thomas, he says, Thomas, come here. 
put your fingers right in my wounds. Thomas, put it right in my side. Then he said to him, maybe now you will have no doubt. Peace be to you, Thomas. Wow. Now when I, I read this, there's so many thoughts that comes to my mind because the pathway to restored hope and faith in Thomas needed evidence. And the evidence was the woundedness of Jesus. Tao. Not a miracle, the woundedness. The woundedness of Jesus was the evidence to restored hope. Now, even just saying that, there is a lot of observation and confusion for me in that statement. And I think there should be confusion in that statement for you too. If not, I'm going to do my absolute best to confuse you. Because the nails in Jesus' hands and feet and the big gash in his side was not the only woundedness he carried. You know, when I read about Jesus, Isaiah 53 verse 3 says, Jesus was despised and rejected by people. Hey, have you ever experienced rejection? Have you ever felt despised? Oh my gosh, my daughter was not even old enough to speak, and she said to me, Dad, you're very polarized. I didn't even know she had that word. I go like, baby, what an observation. She says, either people really love you or they really hate you. I go like, oh, that's lovely, baby. <laughs> Felt so encouraged. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows. The Son of God was a man of sorrows, acquainted with sorrow, sadness. He was acquainted with the deepest of grief as a human on the earth. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and people did not care. John 1.10 says he came into the world that he created. He was very present when Adam was created out of mud. He was present when the breath of life was breathed into him. He came to the very ones he created the earth for. And the Bible says they didn't receive him. They didn't like him. Matthew 8 verse 20 breaks my heart. Because the God of all glory who created the majesty and the opulence of it all came to his own. And Jesus, in the midst of being human, said, Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But I don't even have a place to lay my head. Have you ever felt so homeless? Have you ever been in a room full of people but felt homeless emotionally? Now, when I read that, you go like, poor Jesus. I go like, no, poor us. Because that's the story of what it is to be human with your feet in the dust. You see, there is part of our faith construct that I want you to know that we have got to be careful when we preach you'll be happy you'll be healthy you'll be blessed you'll be anointed you'll never have pain you'll always be joyful there's no dark nights there's no dark valleys everything is going to be fine and I'm here to tell you well apparently it didn't work for Jesus and if it's not going to work for Jesus 
As a pastor, I may want to tell you this, that your best and your worst is yet to come. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's so beautiful. We can go home now. My best and my worst is yet to come because I want you to know that Jesus was abandoned. He was betrayed. He was misunderstood. He healed a man's withered hand on a Sunday. Instead of thanking him, they took him out and they wanted to stone him to death. Have you ever felt misunderstood? Have you ever felt betrayed? Have you ever felt talked about? Have you ever felt that people are assassinating your character and they don't even know you? I think the biggest problem with Jesus today is that he's been so misrepresented by the church, by us, that the world is talking about him through misrepresentation of who he is. And I don't think we are intentionally doing it, but we are not being helpful. You see, I know this about people, that when you die, even your enemies comes to the funeral to make sure you are really dead. <laughs> right? Man, for people, they go like, you know how much I'm loved and hated by the amount of people that came, comes to my funeral. Do you know how many people were at Jesus' funeral? Nobody. He was almost buried as John Doe. That's the amount of pain that Jesus, you go like, well, you're doing a fantastic job to make us really depressed on this beautiful Sunday morning. I go like, thank you. I work hard at this message to go like, I should leave them at great depression right now. Because there's three observations that I want to bring to your attention. You see, what I just told you about Jesus was not by accident, but was very intentional by God. Because Jesus set the example how our human wounds can be redeemed. By God's faithful grace. Now, before you shout amen, I think what you are hearing is that I am saying that our wounds can be healed and forgotten. I'm here to tell you that maybe that's not what is happening in this story. That God wants to redeem your painful wounds into holy scars. Because you see, Hebrews says this, Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest. A high priest is simply standing between God and people. A high priest is one that comes almost like your lawyer and make a case for your mistake. The Bible says right now in heaven we have a high priest, Jesus that understand what it is to be human. And he says this, we have a high priest. We do not have a high priest who is unable to, be to have empathy with our weaknesses. Because he has experienced every bit of pain and woundedness that you and I will ever experience. And the reason why he experienced it so that he can have empathy and compassion towards us. Now, my question that I have, have you ever considered 
that following Jesus is, what is the biggest word I can find? I'm waiting for it. I feel like Michael Thomas that goes like pudding, pudding. What rhymes with pudding? Um, it's going to come to me in the car. Mike, 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 Michael Scott in the office. I'm waiting, pudding, pudding. Uh, inextricably following Jesus is tied to love. Remember what, what, what Jesus, the, the, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, there are 603 laws, which are the most important? Come on, you know, and if you don't, you can pretend, just say it a second after everybody else says it. Jesus says, all the laws are captured in this. You must love God, love yourself, and love your neighbor. Now, can I tell you this? When you and I experience wound and pain living life, do you know that it's impossible to love God if you blame Him for your woundedness? Come on now. I would take my phone out right now and actually write it down. Because if we believe that God is responsible to safeguard us from woundedness, then we blame Him every time we get hurt. I do not have a theology to explain to you why He promised that He'll protect us, yet we go through things where we question His protection. God said, go tell Pharaoh to free my children. Moses does exactly what God says. And the moment Pharaoh says, let the people go, the Bible says God hardened his heart and he changed his mind. I go like, really? Really? But do you know that God changed his heart because the people needed a story that comes out of pain of God's redeeming grace and make it a holy story. You see, if we have misplaced expectations, and when we come to Jesus, He's going to heal all the painful things of our past, and we're not even going to remember it. And He's going to ensure that there's no pain in our present and pain in our future. I'm here to tell you as a pastor, I have succumbed to wrestling with God and ask him the question, how hard would it have been? I have stood up for you. I've stood in the gap and said that you are faithful. You're a healer. You're a restorer. You will protect children. Now I'm burying that children. How hard would it have been, God? Wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. But what if I tell you that it is not my place to say what God will and will not do? This one thing I do know that no matter the pain you experience or carry, that God has an amazing ability to rewrite the story for His glory. You see, I don't think you can love yourself if you refuse to make room for God to make your pain your testimony. But we, as people, find it very hard to tell people about our pain because it makes us feel vulnerable. It makes us feel weak. That's why when you ask somebody, how is it going? They go like, oh, so great. 
And then you hear they've been through things and they go like, I'm fine, I'm fine. How is it that we find it very hard to just be authentically true to our humanity? My brother last year in, in December, he, he married a beautiful woman and she passed away at age 36 from breast cancer. He remarried, he was married for 22 years and his wife, three days before Christmas, two days before Christmas, went for a very routine hernia repair. Everything went fine. It's just the simplest of procedure. They pushed her into ICU. She caught COVID and died. I'm on the phone with him. He cries in one moment. There was so much pain coming out of his heart. And then he stops and he goes like, but God is good. I go like, stop it. If our faith doesn't allow our humanity to acknowledge our pain, then somehow we think we are disappointing God when we point to our pain. Have you ever considered that Jesus had pain? Have you ever considered that he didn't go like, well, I'm happy, I'm blessed, and I'm anointed, hit me one more time. <laughs> Have you ever considered his humanity carried this? And do you ever understand this? that the Bible says about Jacob. Jacob is such an interesting story because Jacob was born a twin, but from inside his mother's womb, he was a conniving son of a nugget. He, he, he didn't even want his brother to be born first. When his son of a nugget, I shouldn't have said it. I'm so sorry. When his brother came out of the womb, he pulled him at his ankle and tried to pull him back in. He wanted to be first. We couldn't be first. He cheated his father to think that he's the eldest. He went to go work for his uncle. His uncle had two daughters. One, Rachel, beautiful, sweet Rachel Leah. A different story. She didn't get the best genes. She couldn't see well, and there's no beauty to her. He worked seven years for Rachel. Then he woke up after he got married. He was lying next to Leah. That's why don't drink when you get married. I'm just saying. And then he had to work another seven years. His uncle gave him the ugly cattle, the spotted cattle. And when God blessed the spotted cattle and everything is born as spotted, his uncle changed the rule of the game again. He was abused, neglected, cheated. So many things. He could have been such a bitter human being. But you know what? He came to the conclusion. He said... What you intended to harm me with, God intended it for good. He says, through that he has brought me into this position so that my wounds that you gave me has now become the salvation of many. Ooh, what if I tell you that the wounds that you and I carry if we allow God to reframe our story and make our stories of pain holy stories of redemption, it has the power to bring hope to many Thomases that surrounds our lives. You see, you cannot love other people if you hold them responsible for your pain. Yet... Who else is responsible? For those of you who've experienced counseling, and my wife and I are absolutely shameless 
we went through three hard years after being married for 30 years where I didn't think we're going to make it. We love each other, but we are so triggered. We hurt each other so much. You know when you start to talk and then it becomes an argument and you don't even know why you're arguing, but you're not going to lose it. And so I found a counselor and I thought, I can't wait for her to tell my wife exactly what is wrong with her. You know how that goes. I go, tell her, babe, just tell her, tell her. Because whenever we're in pain, we think that we are the ones that are getting all the wound. Not understanding most of the times we wound ourselves more than others wound us. Right? And, and what is so interesting, as we sat there, we begin to realize it's not about the other person. It's about the woundedness of our own hearts. And the more we begin to discover each other's story, the more empathy we had that what we are dealing with didn't start with us. It started way before. Because you know what? You have a story you know, and then you have a silent story you were born with. Jesus may be in your heart, but your grandfather is in your bones, baby. Yet, we are not limping humans, and if we are, there is redemption in this story. And that is why I love what Parker Palmer says. He says, the more we know about another's story, the harder it is to hate them or harm that person. Because you know you can easily say, I heard somebody say off the pulpit, let me tell this all these single moms. Why are you single? Because you promise you got you promiscuity. I go like, oh dear Lord. Until your child becomes a single mom and you know their story, will you not have compassion to each other's story? That's why I want to say this to you. That is why it is a paradox for people with wounds and brokenness to become people who criticize others with wounds and brokenness. That's why we who have carried God's grace and God's open arms, we can never be the people that become so self-absorbed and pointing fingers out. Paul says, I'm the chief sinner among us. That's why scripture says, boast in your weakness. Because if you understand and if you are open, if you understand how much woundedness I carry, and it's not your fault, and how much grace has redeemed those stories. And if you know how much power of redemption is in your incomplete humanity, all of us are broken parts. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you're a little bit more broken than I, I can tell. But all of us are broken parts. And Jesus said these words, who gives you the right to criticize someone else's servant? Who gives you the right? Oh, I love what one of the church fathers says, I think it's Spurgeon. They try to tell him everything that they hear he's doing wrong. He says, not only are they right, I'm worse. I'm worse. But by God's grace... I've got to understand what he's doing. The second observation that I have, and I'm always done. To come on, turn to your neighbor and say, this is a good day. It's almost done. I have a big disconnect 
I thought that when you are resurrected from the dead, that there will be no wounds and pain in your resurrected humanity. How many times have you heard when somebody passed away, oh, they passed away, now there's no more pain. Why did Jesus carry wounds after he was resurrected? Let me ask you a question. Was the physical wounds the only thing he carried? Or was the abandonment, the rejection still in his bones? I'm going to tell you, I believe theologically he carried both. That's why he's still a faithful intercessor that can look at your rejection and feel that rejection. And can come to the Father with the understanding of that rejection. He knows what abandonment is. He knows what betrayal is to this day, even after resurrection. And, and I love what this one writer says. Her name is Shelley Rambo. She wrote a book, Resurrecting Wounds. Listen to this. And if you don't agree, I'm cool. I'm cool. If Jesus carries the scars from his traumatic crucifixion after resurrection, is it possible that we carry our respective wounds into the age to come? So let me ask you. You say, what do you mean? Do you mean that when I get to heaven, that I will still carry scars, pain, disappointments, confusion? I'm going to give you one scripture. I'm not going to give you an answer. Go work it out. Revelation 21.4. Talks about when we stand before the Lamb of God. It says, then he will wipe every tear from your eye. Let me ask you a question. What makes you sad in heaven? If it's not the carrying of the remembrance of the humanity of your wounds on earth. And there will be no more death. There will be no sorrow. And there will be no crying or pain after he himself have wiped the tears from your eyes. Oh, could it be that you and I are going to get to that final crescendo and finally, we're going to stand there with our resurrected bodies. And he's going to say, now it's served its purpose of being a testimony. Now, it's time to finally heal what is broken. So church, you see, I believe we have a choice. We have a choice in how we view what has happened to us. And I feel the burden. I feel the weightedness. I feel the, the low-grade anger that you go like, I bet you were not molested. I bet you've never been raped. I, I bet your wife has never left you. I bet you have never experienced what it is like not to be able to pay rent and they put you out. I bet you have never been physically assaulted. Because I went to the Pew Research and looked at some of the woundedness of people who believe in Jesus. It is so frightening. It, it, I couldn't bring it to you because I've already achieved quite a bit of success in making you feel depressed right now. I didn't need that too. 
Because in a church like this, let's say it's 250 couples, uh, 50 couples are engaging in physical and emotional violence in their home right now. The amount of people that are experiencing deep, deep wounds of abandonment and pain that stood at an open grave of someone they love that should not have died. A lot of single moms, a lot of young adults that have waited for the right person the right way. Oh, I can go on and on and on and on and on. But one thing I can tell you, there is a, there is a, a, a Latin word that, that I so love. I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's called incarvatus, which means, I looked up the image of it. It's this little man that's bent over. It, it, it is, he's all, his head's almost touching his toes, which means you're going through life with incarvatus. You are bent over under the distress and the weight of something that you cannot shake. That is not the picture of what we preach. But Jesus lived in Carvatus. But it was not as a defeat. It was so that he could have empathy and testimony to those who needed to see his wounds in order to have hope restored so so let me let me finish this off you see either we can begin to feel sorry for ourselves because certainly i know you've been betrayed i felt it i felt the pain of being ignored i know the pain of people sitting in the front row and they were there for 10 years and then something happened. I don't know what happened. And now they see me at the mall. I greet them. They look the other way. And I go like, I baptized your children. I was there when they were born. I don't know what I've done wrong. I can say ministry is terrible. But what if I tell you that all those things are needed? You ask God for courage. You know what he gives you? Impossible problems. You ask God, oh, give me love. You know what he does? He surrounded you with terrible people. You say, oh, I want to learn how to forgive. Please don't pray that. The worst one is, humble me, oh God. Are you stupid? <laughs> humble me. It's the, I'll rather take a stroll through hell. God, I want to be a testimony. Then acknowledge that what you say no longer convince. What you carry as a reframing of what you've experienced, rewritten in glory and hope. Because you see, I believe right now as we are sitting in this place, there are many, many people in our world, including us, that are experiencing heavy boots, as this one writer says. People are living under the heaviness of a lot of pain. And our gospel is not one that Jesus is going to give you amnesia and everything's going to be fine. The gospel gives you the beautiful declaration that if you go through pain, 
feel, begin to know Him in a different way. And that scar can become a testimony to the Thomases that surround your life. I cannot stand testimony time. Oh God, if they go in church, oh, it's testimony time. Oh Lord. You know why? Because somehow we think we've got to tell people good news. You know, I was battling cocaine for 15 years, and, and then I just sang Amazing Grace, and I've never touched it again. Now, how do you feel who've been struggling for 15 years? You've sang Amazing Grace. What's wrong with your Amazing Grace? You know what I love? It's when somebody says, I'm struggling still. The fact that I'm struggling is a sign I've not given up. I've not given up. I'm joyful, but the cloud of depression comes over my life where I don't want to live. But this one thing I know, that God is faithful. So if you struggle with that, I'm not going to hide my face. I struggle, but I don't give up. And His grace is always enough. Always enough. Always enough. Listen, every single, every single champion in battle, when they take their armor off, is cut up with scars. Some of them are missing fingers. But you know, the more you see what could have taken their life and they are still standing, the more you understand that you too can overcome battles. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver you from them all. What does deliverance mean? He will make your affliction a story of redemption to those who need it. For those of you who are going right now through chemotherapy, you go like, I don't want people to know they're going to think my faith failed. I grew up in a home when you're sick, you can't tell anybody because then they're going to think you don't have faith. Can I tell you the fact that you are there arriving at church, the fact that you are sitting there and say, then sings my soul, my Savior God to me, to thee. My testimony is even if I die, God has won the battle because my life is forever in Christ Jesus. I will tell my story of humanity because it gives me empathy. So let me close this because I can feel there's too much preaching me in this. When do you give up? When do you give up? When do you give up dreaming? When do you just start surviving? What do you need to lose in order to believe it's over? There was a young man and he gave me permission this, this morning and was sitting right here in the pew in front of me. He is the 
original founder of Project Lead Nation. You buy this most incredible prepacked meals. I did it for six weeks. It's, it's incredible. And franchises are going up everywhere. And I see him sitting in church and I go like, oh man, I want to hear your story because you're doing something so right. His name's Tim. So I met Tim at a coffee shop. And I'm always interested in someone's story. Always. Not in your gifting, in your story. I want to hear at which point did you go like, I'm going to do this thing. Because it gives me courage that things can be done. And he began to tell me. He says, hey, before we start, just let, I just want you to know I was in prison for three years. I go like, yeah, well, that's not a good impression right now. You know what I mean? That's not the way to tell your story. No, that's not what I said. The fact that he started this, he's esteemed growing my eyes so much. Now I'm even more intrigued. What he did was not important. Is the fact that he knows that story is hope for others who are there right now. What are you surviving? Because you see, I believe some of you have given up on life. You've given up. You've retired and you're giving up. You're angry at God. You're angry at people. You're angry, angry. But you're ignoring the faithfulness of God that has brought you this far. You need to open up the story of the wounds and the pain and the redemption because you are the story holder of God's faithfulness. You have got to realize if your husband or your wife left you, it is not over. Yes, it's painful, but you can't survive life and wait for the next 30 years just to die. If you've been violated, you are not second-hand material. God's redemptive power can give you the most beautiful life with the most incredible scar. Put a tattoo around it, baby, and tell the world that it's not over when you think it is over because there's someone who needs to hear your story because stories is all I have. Can I prove to you there's God? You know what's so freaky about God? He has no interest to prove to you that he's God. Have you ever like said to God, like now's a really good time? You know how many times in worship I said like, now's a good time, like, hey oh, like now. And sometimes God goes like, no, I'll just go in hiding because I love those who worship me even though they can't see me. Feel me. Just know that I am. So church, maybe for some of us, it's time to take off the sackcloth of being a victim. Bring the pain out of the closet and realizing your life has many Thomases around it. Every day, it's my one of the most fundamental pray, prayers I pray because I have an adventurous spirit. If every life is the same, like stab me in the eye right now. I love the unexpected. I always pray, God, Give me divine collisions. And you know what God will send you? Thomases. And they're not looking for a theological argument. 
they want to hear a story that they can put their finger in that wound and know that you too are human. But our story is one of amazing grace. How sweet the sound. There is a God in the dark valley. There is a God on the mountaintop. There is a God standing next to the open grave. There is a God that remains when the husband leaves. There is a God that knows what it feels like not to have a place to sleep. There is a God that understands your oppression. There is a God that understands when everything in you want to get over an addiction that is private. You are so filled with shame. And there's a God that stands there and say, just let the shame go. I want to make it a story. That's why I believe. There are two things that, that I want to invite you to. First, I believe it's in the community of being with people. You go like, are you talking about like small group stuff, get-togethers? Yeah, you go like, well, I don't trust people. They don't trust you either. So it's mutual. But I've never been in a group of people where we be just begin to share our stories and you, you have the courage to tell people your story where they go like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Usually they go like, we know that about you. Thank God you have the courage to tell us. Some of you, you have seen God heal so much in your life and you carry those scars. Do you understand the power of you inviting people? who are going through the same thing, and you don't fix them, you just tell them your story. Because you can have empathy with them. And then secondly, there is something that we want to invite you to either be part of a community, and it's not the small groups that you think of going to someone's home with four cats and cookies with hair on, and you go like, I don't even like being here. This is finding a community, because my community hangs around coffee shops. I'm going to eat catty cookies. Ah, no, 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 no. I don't, I, I hang, I like hanging with people that I feel like, man, if I hang, I like it. There's people here, and there's, for some of you, you can lead a group like that. You can make yourself available and say, I want to live this life as a wounded healer. I'm incomplete, but I carry a testimony. And we have coming up in this card five weeks of this incredible called cause, call, cause called Rescue Academy. Because it teaches you how to tell your story and how to help in a healthy way. Because I can tell you as a pastor, the moment you think you can solve people's problems, you take the attention away from Jesus. The moment you think, I have now got to replace their roof and I've got to fix them, you are not Jesus. Sometimes the best help is no help at all but proximity to walk with you and wait for your miracle. And I think more than anything, man, jump into this because it will give you the confidence when God divinely let you bump into a Thomas that you don't go like, oh shoot, what do I do? That you can skillfully say, come on, put your finger into my wound. And you don't become the hero. Jesus 
is at the center of it all. So how can you do this? Fill out the cart. But there is a beautiful song. It says, He who make all things new. Yes, you make all things new. And I will follow you forward. Come on, try it with me. You make all things new. Yes, you make all things new. And I will follow you forward. This is, I'm not going back. I'm moving ahead. I'm here to declare to you. My past is over in you. All things are new. Here to declare. I don't know the words. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. Forward, I think it is. Then yes, your part. Come on, you make. You make all things new. Come on. You make all things new and I will follow you forward. God, there's no wound too toxic. There's no heart that has fallen too deep. There's no situation unrecoverable. There's no doubt unreachable. But somehow you have chosen us to carry the scars and the wounds of your faithfulness. God, thank you for hard times. Thank you for struggles. And in my thank you, I'm not asking for more, but thank you. Thank you in darkness, you are the light. In hopelessness, you are always the sun that rises in the morning. Thank you that you make all things beautiful in your time. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody shouts, Amen. Can't wait to see you next week.